be bringing you the Bible for the Bible reading for tonight, which comes from Matthew 1, verse 18 to the end of the chapter. And it's the account of the birth of Jesus. So, if you want to open with me. Sorry, I'm reading from the ESV. forgot to change it. Um, now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin, virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, which he, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Evening, everyone. Uh, great privilege to be able to share with you tonight. Uh, as I was uh, contemplating this privilege, um, by way of introduction for some of you, it was almost 40 years ago uh, to this time that uh, we headed off to Bible College to take up the call of God on my life to be an equipper of the people of God. So to be able to do that in the church where we went from is a great privilege. So uh, this evening, I've uh, titled our message, Whose Child Is This? And the passage that you had uh, read to you was from Matthew 18. No. Matthew chapter 1. Got to pay attention. Verses 18 to 25. Now, uh, as the word of God is proclaimed... Unless the Spirit of God touches our heart, then we're wasting our time. Got it? So I'm going to ask that the Spirit of God might do that as I bring some thoughts to you from that passage. Would you do that with me? Let's pray. Uh, Father, it's an amazing thing that in your mercy and grace, not only have you granted to us your holy word in a language that we can read and understand, but you've granted to us your Holy Spirit that we might be those who have insight into things that are not simply revealed by men. We pray that your Spirit of God will take the simple words that I declare and in your profound guidance apply them to the lives of each individual here. We know that you know our circumstances, that nothing is hidden from you, that you understand us better than anyone else could. And so we pray that as you have done in times past, you'll continue to do so tonight that you'll speak to us by the power of your Spirit. Amen. So um, by means of uh, introduction, 
I want you to see this from Matthew's perspective. We're going to look at a few different perspectives at this passage. Last week, you saw the first 17 verses of that. And it is all put in to the first couple of verses. Uh, Verses 1 to 17 establish the framework by which not only will we see chapter 1, but the rest of Matthew. It begins by saying that this is the genealogy. It actually doesn't say genealogy of Jesus. It says the, the genesis of Jesus. I want you to think about that in relation to something that is incredibly significant. There is a new birth. There is something incredible. And it is the history of the one who is writing to Jewish people. As he writes to Jewish people, he wants to use the truth of the inspired word of God to make it really clear. Does that make sense? So he's going to be someone who makes it clear to you and to me how important it is for this genesis, this new beginning that's going to take place. Firstly, Matthew sees that he's Israel's child. Israel's child, the nation of Israel. He is the Messiah. To have the... the, Because he's writing to, to Israel. He's writing to the Jews. So he wants them to know, in Jesus we have the one who is going to be the Messiah. Now, the Messiah simply doesn't mean uh, the king. Messiah is the anointed one. Three different aspects to who was anointed. Prophet, priest, and king. So Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who embodies all of these, is about whom this passage is about. For Israel... The most significant history uh, person, as far as they're concerned, was David. The one who was the king. Uh, the, the, the one promised in 2 Samuel 7, 14 to 16, whose house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne shall be established forever. He then makes a, uh, a focus on Abraham. Abraham, the Messiah, the Messiah, will be a son of Abraham. Now, the inclusion of Abraham extends the blessing to the world. Genesis 12 declares this in verses 2 and 3. And I'll make you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I'll bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So, moves out, so the Messiah is seen not only in his relationship to Israel, particularly, but also to include the world of which you and I are the beneficiaries of that. Now, he also, Matthew wants to describe uh, Jesus as Joseph's son. There are many unanswered questions about the genealogies included in Matthew and Luke. Um, Luke posits the significance of Mary's background. And if you study them as is clear, then you'll see according to Jewish law it was really important that Jesus' heritage could be established through Joseph. It was legally significant for the Jews to see that here was Jesus going to be Joseph's son. And so we then look at now Joseph's place in this story. Who was Joseph? What was it all about? Um, Jacob 
was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So verse 16 declares. Jeremiah 21, 22 verse 1 indicates no descendant of Jeconiah will sit on the throne of David. The Lucan genealogy clarifies the issue by revealing that the oldest son of Jehoiakim was Shealitul, through whom Jesus descended. And he was only an adopted son of Jeconiah. Does that make sense? That's why Jeconiah is included in this genealogy. That Jesus was the adopted son of Jeconiah, through whom there was to be no living descendant of Jeconiah's on the throne. Out of that, Joseph was a descendant. So here we have the provision that sets the scene for Joseph as a legitimate legal descent or ancestor of Jesus. All right? Now we come to look at Joseph's place in the, the whole nature of his personal preparation. Betrothed to Mary. Um, any engaged couples here? Any married couples here? Ah, well you understand something of the journey to be engaged, to be married. Quite different now to what it was way back then. Uh, being betrothed is a very serious matter. You don't generally break an engagement. It's not entered into lightly. Uh, the man who was betrothed to a maiden was legally seen to be that husband. If you'll see in Genesis 29 and verse 21 and even in Deuteronomy, uh, uh, there's an important way of seeing the, le the legality of that relationship. Once a betrothal has been announced, it is absolutely significant not to be entered into or to be dealt with lightly. And though they didn't live together as husband and wife till the actual marriage was uh, uh, legalised by the community, there was a community engagement for that, uh, breach of faithfulness on the part of the betrothed was treated as adultery and uh, could have been that which was punished by death. If you remember uh, Jesus, uh, when a woman was caught in adultery and, and the men gathered around and wanted to say, what should we do? And Jesus said, uh, those of you without sin cast the first stone. You see, it was still part of the thinking of the Jewish people. So into this circumstance, the marriage that was to take place for the groom with his betrothal was to be the, uh, this, uh, the absolute pinnacle of identifying with the community that this relationship was to be always ongoing. Joseph was described as a just man. A righteous man, a man who in this translation you saw lived according to the law. He was a caring and considerate man. He was a holy and a pure man. He was a man who was realistic and sensible, spiritually sensitive. And into this situation, Joseph found himself in a real predicament. Things weren't going as you'd hoped. His lovely betrothed Mary had been to visit her cousin Elizabeth, been there for a few months, 
And she came back and his hopes and, and joy at what was going to be soon to be the uh, recognition, the realization of a marriage was suddenly all unraveling, all unraveling. Mary was found to be with child. Whew, that's a tough thing to face, isn't it? To find that the woman that you're going to marry is suddenly expecting. And you know, you know that you had nothing to do with that. And Joseph, described as this just man. When you're described in a situation like this, you act according to your character. Now, have you ever got a, a, a sauce bottle and squeezed it hard? What comes out? Sauce. Guess what happens when you're squeezed hard? What's in you comes out. Your character is revealed. Into this circumstance, the character of Joseph was to be tested. His response is governed by his character. Forged by the values we learn, the decisions we make. Ask yourself the question, are your values grounded in godliness? Or, or, or are they influenced by the things round about you in this world? Do you follow what everyone else does? Or do you stand, as Joseph was here, by the values that are who he is? For him, trust seemed to be shattered. It's hard, isn't it, when someone that you know and, and love has done something that shatters your faith in them. As a man in encompassing this circumstance, how does he feel? Uh, how could it be that the wife that he's going to have has no longer been faithful to him? Feelings of failure, feelings of shame. And so he, out of his character, out of great wisdom, says the only way I can do this is for this relationship to be terminated. He was a righteous man. A just man. But he was a considerate man, a caring man. So how was he to do it? Well, there were a couple of options for someone if a betrothal was found to be invalidated. If the woman had been unfaithful. He could simply make a public display of it. And this, uh, this uh, betrothed wife of his uh, could be shamed in front of everyone in the community to hold the stigma that existed and the, uh, the exclusion from all communal life. Uh, but he was not like that. He was a considerate man. He was a gracious man. And so he was going to take the option that was permissible by the law and to take two witnesses who could, under the circumstances, authenticate that Mary had been someone who had not been faithful to Joseph through the birth of this child. Joseph would have to declare that he had not had sexual relationships with her. And these witnesses would be those who would then give the agreement that this divorce was to be legalized 
and Mary was to be put away. So he seemed uh, to, to solve that dilemma in the most appropriate way. Uh, you and I as, uh, as uh, Christians work with the knowledge that we have. Did you know sometimes we make decisions because we don't know what God is to say, do we? Well, we think it's the right thing, but we haven't heard what God has said. Uh, Joseph was going to hear God's solution. So God, in his omnipotence, reveals his purposes and the truth in a way that Joseph had no doubt about what his decision was to be. If you uh, look, that God revealed the situation through a dream. Dreams were quite common. Uh, if you look at the Old Testament, many of the, the people of old received revelation from God. In Matthew's Gospel, you see it quite often in the prologue about dreams that are happening. God frequently made use of dreams in communicating his will to men. Some of the instances are the history of Jacob in Genesis 28 and verse 12, Laban, Joseph, Gideon, Solomon, um, other significant dreams such as those of Abimelech, the Pharaoh's chief butler and baker, Pharaoh, Midianites, Nebuchadnezzar, and the, the story goes on. It's not a usual experience for us to be those who have dreams from God, is it? When we served in Irian Jai, guess what? Uh, we, we worked amongst the Dani people there, and uh, these students came out from the, the highlands, and they could only get there by plane, and they left their families back, their wife and their children, uh, back in the highlands while they studied at the college where I was lecturing. And uh, they would come to my wife and I and say, Baba Jeff, would you please pray for my mother in the village in Tiom? Uh, God told me that she was sick. And I said, okay. And then a day later, we'd get a radio message from the, the missionaries in Tiom and they'd say, please let such and such know, the student, that their mother was unwell. And we could say, they already let us know. God is able and continue to speak to us. And I can tell you numerous instances where that has happened amongst the people of God. So, so don't think that God cannot reveal his truth and his purposes, particularly applied to the circumstances of life through dreams. Don't think it is not possible. God revealed to Joseph that her pregnancy was not due to her promiscuity. Huh. That says a lot to Joseph, doesn't it? It says that the woman that he was marrying was who he thought she was in her character. But her pregnancy was the result of God's overshadowing her by the Holy Spirit. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Joseph was described as the son of David, the one with the Messianic link. And, and he was said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. His wife is told not to become afraid. Not that he was afraid but that he would be afraid, not to become afraid. Why? 
Well, I want you to think of what lay before him. What was his course once he was to take Mary as his wife? She was obviously pregnant. She would be obviously pregnant throughout their relationship. So he needed the strength and the courage of God to face a journey which others will look upon quite differently to what the reality was because God had spoken to him. And when you know that you know what God has said, then you do what God has said. Does that make sense? Sometimes it might sound really strange, the things that he asks you to do. I like to tell Charlie to go and speak to someone he hadn't even known. He was going to speak to them about that. Is that right, Charlie? Yeah. So what I'm saying is when God says to do something, then do it. Uh, in this passage, the Greek describes this as she is having been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's an insertion of a verb to be to say that this is to make sure all those who understand their Greek know uh, that this isn't simply uh, something that has uh, happened to Mary, but a process where the Spirit of God is the one who has given life to her, has overshadowed her, to ensure that the child that there is to be born is that without any sin. Critically important. He's the second Adam, the last Adam, to replace the first Adam in the history of our salvation. Who would have believed this of Mary if Joseph hadn't been told that by God's special revelation? Mary knew the truth and hadn't told him. I wonder why. Was it just that she lacked time? Or was it something that was pretty incredulous to believe? Joseph needed to know that. He was persuaded. Joseph was persuaded. He believed the message of God. And he obeyed the message of God. What we have here is the most extraordinary gift that you and I could ever have. The word of God inscripturated for us. This shows us every step along the way that we need to know. Because the spirit of God will take it and apply it. To our life. He obeyed the message of God. All his doubts were dispelled. Anguish was gone, filled with a strange and wonderful joy because he'd heard from God. And he took Mary as his wife, willing to bear the shame respected her spotless purity, had nothing to do with her sexually throughout this period at all, until after her birth. Recognized that this was an incredibly privileged to be there where the word became flesh. And we see that at last the promised child was to be born. Uh, Joseph had a proclamation to make. He called him Jesus, 
Yeshua, Joshua, because he will save his people from their sin. The baby to be named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's extraordinary, isn't it? The Israel had tried to do that for centuries uh, with their, their whole system, uh, the way that they would have sacrificial systems, all in vain. And yet with this young child, named before his birth, that only happened six times throughout the, the whole of the Scriptures. Isaac, Ishmael, Moses, Solomon, Josiah, the name of the Messiah, the only ones the rabbis declared named before birth. He is another Joshua to lead the true people of God into the promised land. The name itself, though, was common amongst others. He is the Sota, the Saviour, the Deliverer, Prophet, Priest and King. But Saviour sums it all up in one word. The one who will save. Jesus, uh, which means the one who saves, will be the one who saves. So play on the words in the Greek. So that we have no doubt of the importance of him being the saviour from their sins. Uh, uh, To sin is to miss the mark, to fall short of the glory of God. Anyone fallen short here? I was just making sure most of the hands were up. Those whose hands weren't, uh, we'll go enjoy things later, won't we? You see, you and I don't need anyone to tell us how far short we fall of the glory of God. The need of our Saviour is extraordinary. There is no hope for us if it depends upon our efforts. We can't lift ourselves up by our bootstraps. We can't try harder and try harder and get there. We'll never do it. You can come to church every day of the week. You can read your Bible every minute of the day. You can pray all the time and you'll never be good enough. Never. But God sent his son to become man, to walk amongst us, to show us what it would be like for those who could live in complete dependence upon God. So we can't ever be saved by our own efforts. Don't ever think you can. It's only by the grace of God and the ongoing work of the Spirit of God to transform us to become like Jesus. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Filthy rags. And you know, I'm sure, that that comes from the idea of menstrual rags, uncleanness in all of its it's, uh, it's sense. That's the truth of it. As far as the, the, uh, the Jews were concerned. So here, God declares he is sending a saviour. A saviour. Fulfilling the promises of God. And he calls him Emmanuel. God with us. This child will be God in the flesh. A God of humility. Can you imagine? The living God, the creator of this world, comes as a bub. 
God of compassion, a God of forgiveness, a God of grace, a God who calls our name. This is extraordinary. This is the incarnation. The word became flesh. God became man. Emmanuel. Luke 1 35 declares, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. John declares in John 1.14, and the Word became flesh. Paul declares about Jesus in Philippians, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Hebrews, he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. Emmanuel, God with us. He's with us spiritually by the power of his spirit. We are those in whom God dwells by his spirit. 1 Corinthians 1 First uh, uh, Corinthians 6 verses 19 declares, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You and I, God with us. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That's Emmanuel. That's Emmanuel. You see, Isaiah 7.14 didn't predict this. It validated the truth. Isaiah spoke in that passage about a a woman during uh, Azariah's time, but it was with application to a future that would only find its fulfillment ultimately in Christ. Not just a virgin but a woman who never, who never gave birth to the saviour of the world through the help of man. Extraordinary, isn't it? As we conclude, I want you to think, whose child is this? A child who God prepared the way throughout history for the birth of Jesus, fulfilling his promises to Israel, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Joseph had a place in God's plan because despite his predicament, he was persuaded to proclaim this child is Jesus. And he declared that. He had to do that. He enunciated that. He validated the truth as the father that Jesus was his son that he was the saviour for his people. And so the question is, are you his? Are you his? God's Emmanuel. God with us. Joseph's response changed with God's revelation, with what God spoke to him about. And I don't know all of you, but God knows you. 
And the Spirit of God is wanting to speak to you. God revealed truth to him. And the Spirit of God knows you. And the Spirit of God speaks to you and enunciates and makes it clear that without him, you are lost and hopeless. But with him, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Do you know what the last couple of uh, verses of Matthew's gospel is all about? Let me read it to you. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Emmanuel from chapter 1 is the Emmanuel revealed in the resurrection of Jesus, who commissions us, knowing that he will always be with us, even to the end of the age. What's God been speaking to you about at this time of the year? Uh, many of you with a change that comes at this time of the year. Break from studies or school, whatever it might be. Celebrations. Christmas and all that comes from that. Maybe he's wanting to talk to you about your direction for the future. Let's spend a moment and ask him as we pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that whose child is this has been revealed to us and that we can now be his children, that we can be those who know you more than we could possibly imagine. Because you are alive and at work within us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We're thankful that you are the one who can take us on a journey that will last forever. Because you have promised that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And that one day, one day we'll be presented faultless in your presence forever and ever with exceeding joy. You, the only wise God, thank you that you are our saviour. To you be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.